as a faith family, in the month of September, we're walking through the book of Proverbs together, and on Sunday mornings, we are quoting uh, a verse from memory that we've memorized this past week. And so, for those of you who have not learned it yet, that's okay. We're going to throw it up here on the screen uh, for you to see, and it's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. And so, would you read this out loud with me, our memory verse for this week? Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth honor, and life. And that's Proverbs 22.4. Your verse for this upcoming week that we'll be memorizing together is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. And so we'll be memorizing that together as a faith family. Let me ask you a question. Hypothetically, what if you had all of the money in the world What if you had all the power and the resources that this world has to offer at your disposal? What would you do with it? Would you buy the biggest house that you could buy? Would you have the nicest vacations, the most incredible cuisine, the best of foods? Would you take the nicest vacations? Would you get the nice flashy car? Would you give it away? Would you become homeless? Would you be willing to give it to your enemies? Those who don't even say thank you. Would you be willing to give up everything you have for the sake of those who hate you? Who want to kill you and eventually they do. Well, beloved, that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who has all of the wealth of the world. And in his humility, he gave it up. He hands over all of the resources to his enemies. Those who never say thank you. We see Jesus as the one who humbled himself and became a baby born in Bethlehem, born to a blue-collar working family, a poor family. He grew up and became a homeless man living in Galilee who was willing to only live upon whatever was provided for him for that day. We see Jesus as the one who humbled himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Well, when we get to the book of Proverbs, Solomon is instructing his sons and the Spirit of God is instructing us that to be wise, we must hate what is evil and pursue humility. And that is what Solomon is pointing us to in Proverbs chapter eight and in Proverbs 22. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. As a faith family, we're walking through the book of Proverbs together, memorizing scripture together. We're also uh, reading a chapter a day through the month of September. And so uh, today is September the 13th. And so today you would be reading Proverbs 13 and we'll do that all throughout the month of September. And then we'll finish up on October 1st reading Proverbs 31. We saw last week in uh, chapter one, verses one through seven, what wisdom is and how we get it. 
You see, as we live in this chaotic season, especially as we are headed towards a very highly politicized, highly emotionally charged culture headed towards November, we are a people in need of wisdom. As what seems like the world around us has lost the art of common sense, where wisdom is a superpower, we as the people of God, we need the wisdom of God. We need to know how to navigate these turbulent waters and how we can follow the master's instructions as we live as aliens in a foreign land. As people living in a chaotic world, we need our good shepherd to lead us on how we are to respond and to live in this world. When we get to Proverbs chapter eight, Solomon, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking in the first person as wisdom. Like in verse four, He writes, people, I call out to you, my cry is to the children of Adam. Learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced. Develop common sense, you who are foolish. Listen, for I speak of noble things, and what my lips say is right. For my mouth tells the truth, and wickedness is detestable to my lips. But then wisdom speaks again in verse 12. I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. Wisdom, verse 12, it lives with, it lodges with, it abides with shrewdness, knowledge, and discretion. You see, all of these qualities are found in Jesus. Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. Jesus is discretion. Jesus is prudent. He is the source of knowledge. Beloved, if you want these qualities, if you want these characteristics, you must go to Jesus. And when you believe the gospel, when you bank your soul upon the person and work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who has sealed you into the day of redemption, Ephesians 1, not only does he illumine your mind and your heart to reality, he recalibrates your life around the gospel so that you now live a life in which you view the world the way God views the world. It's incredible. The way that you thought before you were a believer is completely different than the way that you think as a believer. Why? Because the Spirit is transforming your thinking. You are going from one degree of glory to another. We begin to think biblically. We look at the world through the eyes of Scripture. You begin to think the way God thinks. You begin to speak the way God speaks. You begin to feel what God feels. And so as we study the scriptures, we see where the spirit is the one who leads us to wisdom. We become, Ephesians 5.1, imitators of God as dearly loved children. And so God gives us his wisdom to make godly decisions, to read situations and people, and he gives us insight on how to lead, how to shepherd, how to respond whenever we are faced with various challenges in this life. And yet wisdom, being rooted in the fear of the Lord, it means you must hate What is evil? Look with me in Proverbs chapter eight, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. Do you remember our memory verse from last week? Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Well, the fear of the Lord shows up again right here in verse 13. I counted 11 times the fear of the Lord shows up in the book of Proverbs. Last week, we saw in chapter one, verse seven, where the fear of the Lord, it means to submit to him and to stay with him. But additionally this morning, I want you to see Proverbs eight, verse 13. The fear of the Lord means hating what is evil. I mean, look at the text. Two times in verse 13, the word hate is used. As believers, we are called upon by God to hate. Well, to hate what? We are to hate evil. In fact, the apostle Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, in which he says, hate what is evil. Therefore, as we are those who are seeking to be faithful to Jesus and obedient to his word, what specifically does wisdom hate? I'll put this in your notes. Uh, I want you to see first an arrogant attitude. An arrogant attitude. We see there, verse 13, the phrase arrogant pride. That's a reflection of a heart that is self-centered and self-glorifying. It's rooted in pride and arrogance is believing that in your heart that you're better than someone else. You see, God hates pride. We see that in 1 Peter 5, 5. God opposes the proud. We see it in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. Two of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs chapter six are arrogant eyes and wicked schemes. We see in Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Proverbs 16, verse five, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. In Daniel chapter four, we see King Nebuchadnezzar as he is surveying the land that he oversees. He sees the glory of Babylon. He says in Daniel chapter four, verse 30, is this not Babylon the great? that I have built to be a residence by my vast power and my majestic glory. And while Nebuchadnezzar is still speaking, God humbles him, loses his mind. He goes out into the wilderness where he takes on the form of a beast and he eats grass for a season. You see, God humbles the proud. God hates what is evil and he rejects an arrogant attitude. Now there's two ways that I see pride showing up typically in the hearts of people. And it's usually two different extremes. One is I am awesome. This is the side in which hey, everybody should be like me because I'm awesome. Y'all should learn from me. My world's about me because I'm a pretty incredible person. The opposite of that is I'm a nobody. This is someone who is self-deprecating to the furthest extent. They feel like they have no value. They feel like they're not important. They feel like they really shouldn't even be living. Hear me, both are pride. Both are looking at self. The answer to pride on both sides is the gospel, where we say, no, 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 I'm not awesome. Jesus is awesome. He alone is the one who defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave through his cross and resurrection. He alone is the one seated on a throne. He alone is the one who is awesome. So Jesus is the answer for this form of pride. 
But Jesus is also the answer to this form of pride. For if you belong to Jesus, you are who he says you are. You're an image bearer. You are loved by God. You are adopted into his family. You're an heir of promise. He has a reward that is stored up in heaven for you that does not fade, spoil, or perish, where thieves do not break in and steal, where rust and moth do not destroy. This is who you are. You are hidden in Christ. And so someone who is continually has that Eeyore complex like, woe is me, I don't have value, I'm not important. It's pride because we're looking inward. We're not to look inward on either side. We look upward at Christ. And he is the answer to both forms of pride. You see, God is not one who affirms an arrogant spirit. Why? Because when we get to Isaiah chapter 42, verse eight, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. You see, glory goes to the one who's the best, the one who's the highest, the one who has dominion over all. We try and do it in sports. We try and do it in academics. We try and do it in all of life. We give glory to those who are the best. And the Lord says, well, guess what? There's no one higher than me. There's no one better than me. And I'm not gonna give my glory to another because I am the one who is preeminent above all. And so for us to have an arrogant spirit is to be in rebellion against the will of the Lord. Well, we see not only does wisdom hate arrogant pride, but we see secondly that wisdom hates wicked living. Wicked living. Wisdom hates, verse 13, evil conduct. That word for conduct, it means to, to walk on a path, to, to trample down a road. This is kind of like the, the Psalm 1 way of the wicked that leads to ruin. A few weeks ago, Christy and I had the opportunity to go on a vacation together. We had planned it two years ago for us to go out west, and we had no idea that we'd be landing right in the middle of a pandemic, but here we go, and uh, it was an incredible privilege in which we got to uh, go into the Grand Canyon, and we got to um, whitewater raft through it, and we got to learn through Canyon Ministries about creation and the different rock formations, how they point to Genesis 1, and how they point to Genesis 6 through 9 in the flood, and how all of the Grand Canyon and its majesty and beauty is pointing to the glory of God found in Jesus. It was a rich trip. It was so much fun and relaxing. Y'all, I had four days without cell phone service. I can get used to that, Okay. It was incredible. But then we took a few more days in which we had a hotel in Vegas and we went and hiked through mountains and all the places around it. But what was heartbreaking is in the evening, we'd go get dinner at a restaurant and we'd have to walk through a hotel or a casino. And it broke my heart at what I saw. Seeing people drunk on alcohol. Having to step over people who were high on drugs seeing people who don't have resources gamble it all away as they just keep hitting that stupid button, hoping to get rich as the casino owners are filling their pockets. And it broke my heart over all of it. And I told Christy, in that week, we got to see some of the best of God's creation and some of the worst of man's depravity. And as I was walking around this city that's in desperate need of Jesus, my heart grieved why? It's because right there, verse 13, it's wicked living. 
It's against God's design. It's people walking in rebellion against their creator. You see, an arrogant attitude produces wicked living. And what is seated on the heart, it's going to be seen in the life. What comes out of your mouth comes from the overflow of the heart. Well, the same thing with your life. You can say you believe something, but what you really believe is lived out before people. What you believe is seen in behavior. And you see, for God, he is one who must judge sin. It's part of his nature. As a holy and pure and perfect God. And you see, in scripture, we see that when sin occurs, God brings judgments. We see he casts out of a garden. He brings a worldwide flood. He brings plagues. He sends out into captivity. And yet God is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And if we repent, if we turn from our evil conduct, if we turn from our wicked ways, we trust in Christ by faith. He forgives us forever. And Isaiah 55 verse 7 It says, let the wicked one abandon his way and let the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. Hear me, no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven today. No matter what's in your past, no matter what sin that you've committed in the last 24 hours or the last 24 years, you can be made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why he came. He came to go to the cross for sinners like you and me. He came to give his life so that in him we can be restored back into a right relationship with God. And the good news is, is that he defeated death on the third day, securing eternal life for all who believe upon him. If you don't know Jesus today, trust in Christ. Turn from your wicked ways. Don't go that path anymore. Return to Jesus and he will receive you. He will receive you as his own, call you a son and daughter, adopting you into his family. No matter what's in your past, the beauty of the gospel is that you get a do-over. He hits the reset button and says, you're now part of my family and you're now gonna walk according to my ways. And that is what God does. So today, if you have not trusted in Jesus, believe the gospel. Bank your soul and heart upon Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What we see in the text, not only does wisdom hate arrogant attitude or wicked living, but thirdly, we see that wisdom hates ungodly words. In verse 13, Solomon uses the word, uh, the phrase, perverse speech. These are words that are foolish, ugly, ungodly. You see, beloved, as followers of Jesus, our words are to reflect the nature and character of God. As followers of Jesus, our utterances, our talk, our speech is to be Christ-honoring. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives this instruction, but now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. He goes on to say in chapter 4 verse 6, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Paul tells the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5.4, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk 
nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. To my coaches in here, your words matter. Speak words of affirmation and life into your players. Let them hear from you the winsome witness of the gospel. There's no need to curse at them or to yell at your, your, your children or your, your children who are playing on your team. Speak words of life. Parents, leverage your words in the lives of your children. Here's what I mean. I want to invite you just right where you're seated, just to kind of close your eyes, just for a moment. There's nothing happening on stage. For those engaging online, right at home in the living room, in your kitchen, wherever you are, just bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. And I'm asking you to do something. In your mind right now, I want you to picture your parents. Now, I want you, in your mind, listen to what they're saying to you. What do you hear? If you could hear what your parents said to you as a child, what's being played on the recorder right now? Do you hear the, the, the pitch and the, the cadence? Maybe the accent or the drawl? What's the content? You see, we are formed by the words of our parents. And when your children are 75 years old, they are going to close their eyes and still hear your voice. What are they going to hear? Beloved, let us be a people that when we speak, we speak words of life. We're not arrogant, we're not prideful. And we do not use speech that our children will look back upon with regret or with pain, but with joy and with gratitude. You can open your eyes. Let's be a people who speak words of life. Because what we say and how we say it will be remembered by our children and grandchildren. So we see in the text that the fear of the Lord means hating what is evil. But secondly, I want you to see this. Fast forward with me to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. In verse four, we see that the fear of the Lord means pursuing humility. This is the memory verse that we just recited together as a faith family. It says humility. The fear of the Lord results in wealth, honor, and life. So the opposite of pride is verse four, humility. Now, humility is a funny thing because the second that you think you've got it, you've lost it, right? Because you could say, you know, I'm the most humble person in this room. Ha <laughs> ha, not anymore, <laughs> right? You see, those who are humble know that they are not. And as followers of Jesus, we pursue humility in the same way that Jesus humbled himself for us ultimately in the gospel. But you see, humility is a constant pursuit for believers until glory. 
This is something we continually pursue. It's not a destination point. There's not a point in which you, in this fallen body and life that you are still in right now, you're not going to achieve humility until you get to go see Jesus. You're going to be fighting for this. It is a fight. And arrogance and pride is sitting on our hearts, your heart and my heart. And we must be ready to put it to death with the gospel. We have to be a people who are on guard watching against arrogance and pride and how it seeps so easily into our hearts. And when so easily we can begin seeing ourselves as better than others or seeing ourselves as a people who have arrived. But it's something that we pursue after because this is what the Lord's looking for. And Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. So, this is what we do as followers of Jesus. We are in hot pursuit of humility, putting to death the pride, the, the deeds of the body, and we live looking to Christ to give us victory. Therefore, what does this look like? When we pursue humility, what happens? What do we receive? Well, verse four tells us. I want you to see first, we receive spiritual wealth. Spiritual wealth. Jesus, Solomon uses the word verse four for wealth there. Now, one thing I, I feel like we need to kind of press pause because this is really important that you grab hold of what I'm about to say because this affects how you translate Proverbs. This affects how you filter what you read as you're reading this book. See, Proverbs are not primarily promises, but rather principles for living. And you've got to know the difference. An example of this, Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, a skilled worker will serve before kings. It's not a promise. You can be really good at your craft and still not work before a king, but it is a principle. That if you are good, if you are a craftsman or a tradesman or you're someone who's good at your job, you will be promoted up. But those who are sloppy in their work, they won't be promoted. They will not be given those next opportunities for growth. It's the principle, shoddy work will not be promoted. So when we read here in verse four that when we pursue humility, we gain wealth, we must be on guard to think that we're gonna get money. We're gonna get a bigger 401k. We think, oh, if I become humble, but then all of a sudden I'm health and wealth and all's going to be good. We can't translate it this way. We have to look at this through scripture. We let scripture interpret scripture. You see, if you receive wealth for being humble, then Jesus was a failure. Because Jesus is the most humble person who ever lived and he was homeless. This is someone who is willing to not become wealthy or to seek out financial gain for himself. In fact, Jesus chose poverty to be the path through which he would provide salvation for the world. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Hear me on this. When you fear the Lord, when you pursue humility, you receive something that is far more valuable than a Mercedes. When you pursue humility, you get something far more enduring than a prosperous 401k. You gain a wealth that does not fade 
spoil or perish. You obtain the riches of Christ for all who believe. Colossians chapter two, verse three says, in him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You receive the spirit. You're adopted into his family. You have an eternal inheritance that you can't ever lose. You have a permanent joy that can be taken away based upon worldly circumstances that are brought to you by those on the outside. You're being changed from one degree of glory to another. You're a part of a kingdom that lasts forever and will never be shaken. You are part of the local church in which even the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against it. Jesus said, blessed are the humble for they shall inherit the earth. We have a new heavens and a new earth that we will one day receive for all who humble themselves and believe the gospel. So grab hold of this. When you pursue humility, it does not promise financial gain. It promises spiritual riches in Christ. You with me on that? Okay. Number two, it provides divine honor. Divine honor. Verse four, he uses the word honor there. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, the Lord says, I will honor those who honor me. You see, the Lord always rewards the faithfulness of his people. Always. God is not stingy. He's not one who holds back. He loves to bless lavishly upon his children. Brothers and sisters, let us be a people who honor the Lord and he will honor us. Thirdly, we see that we are provided abundant life. And that's what we see here in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come, Jesus said, so that they may have life and have it in abundance. You see, eternal life begins now. When you believe the gospel, when you trust in Christ, you're not just waiting for that last day where you take your last breath and then you get to live the good life. No, 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 it begins now. You have it now in Christ. You and I have a life that is full of joy and peace and purpose when we are banking our lives on Christ, when we're looking to him by faith, when we fix our eyes upon Jesus. This is what is ours. And so as we pursue humility, as we seek to be those who align our hearts and lives with Christ, we become a people who are growing in godliness and we experience abundant life in him. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to do? What's the task? What's the takeaway? What are you wanting me to go and do? It's your impact point, and it's this. Flee sin. Get low before the Lord and stay there. Gotta stay. And this, y'all, is the Christian life for the rest of your life. <laughs> and you, you flee sin. You, you, you run Okay, this is like a Genesis 39, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, where you're, you're getting out of Dodge, man. You're running away to save your soul, but you're getting low before the Lord. You're sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, this is, this is where I want to be, right here. Just, I don't want to be a, a, a Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus, and I'm going to stay here. This is what you and I do as followers of Christ. Why? Well, the Bible tells us why. We're going to finish with this. 
This is why we pursue humility. Is that Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God has exalted him and exalted him above all and has given him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus, we see the humility of God, the king who becomes like a peasant so that peasants can be treated like kings and queens. We see a savior who left the glory of heaven. He got off his throne and he came down and became like one of us. And instead of being strong and prideful and powerful. He humbles himself. He washes feet. He touches lepers. He mixes company with sinners and invites them to touch him. He becomes one who becomes sick so that they can be made healthy. He becomes one who is dirty so everyone else can be made clean. This is where wisdom begins. At the feet of Jesus. This is where you and I learn how to navigate these crazy days that we are living in right now. We start at the feet of Jesus and we put to death the pride that's creeping around our hearts. It's crouching at our doors, but we must master it. But we become a people who pursue humility. And humility looks like a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb.